I have some Bible verses for you, and I want you to see, put your hand up if you think, like if this verse is familiar to you, okay? So you ready? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Who's heard that verse before? Hands up. Okay. How about this one? For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Okay, a bit less. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, I'm surprised not more people have heard that one. Okay. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Who's heard that one before? Yeah? How about this one? If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Ah, that's probably the most one I think so far. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heard that one? Okay, and one more. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, so most, like, I'm glad that there was, the majority of us have heard most of these. Now, here's for the big question. Can anybody pick any one of these verses and tell me the chapter, the book chapter and verse that it comes from? Which one's that one? Fantastic. Yep. Fantastic. Anybody else want to guess? Nice. I, ho- I thought to myself, if Bronnie's here, at least I'll have one person who'll be able to tell me some of these. Anybody else want to tell me one? Romans. Fantastic. All of them are found in the book of Romans. Did, did, did anybody already know that before we figured it out? The book of Romans is full. Like these are just some of the verses in the book of Romans. Like I could have come up with a whole lot more of verses that you've probably heard before or verses that are really, really good even if you've never heard it before. And what we're going to actually do is start a series on the book of Romans. Now don't let that freak you out, okay? I'll explain it a bit more before we go on because the book of Romans is a big book. But before we look at any book in the Bible... There's probably like four good questions to ask, just to give us an understanding of what we're talking about, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first question is, who actually wrote it? Second one is, when did they write it? Why did they write it? And then who did they write it to? So that's what we're going to look at today. So the first question is, who wrote the Book of Romans? And I heard someone already answer it. Who wrote it? Paul. Fantastic. Now... Knowing that only gives us half the story. The next question we actually have to ask is, who is Paul? Now, Paul can be a bit confusing if you don't know one really important thing about him. And that is, his name is not only Paul, it also is Saul. Now, normally in the Bible, when people change their name, there's like a big story about it. But with Paul, there really isn't. We just have this verse in Acts chapter 13 that says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, the verse actually continues on. But from chapter 13 of Acts onwards, he's always known as Paul. Okay, But to have an understanding of who this guy is, we need to know that he was Saul because that tells us some really important things about him. 
The first time that we ever hear about this guy is in Acts chapter 7, towards the end of Acts chapter 7. And it tells us this. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man called Saul. Now, if you look back through chapter 7 of Acts and through to chapter 6 of Acts, we find out that there's this guy called Stephen. Has anybody heard of Stephen before? And so Stephen is talking about Jesus. And there's a group of people who don't like this. So they arrest him and they take him to um, the Sanhedrin's and the Sanhedrin's talk and he gives this big speech about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then people get really, really angry. They grab Stephen, they drag him out and they start stoning him. And those who are witnesses to Stephen being stoned are the people that are laying their coats at the feet of Saul. So we know that Saul is part of this group of people that are there being involved and watching Stephen being stoned to death because of what he has said about Jesus. The next time we hear about Saul, who remember is also Paul, in case you've forgotten, it says this in in chapter 8. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So Saul was really, really passionate. And he was really, really passionate about one thing at this time. Finding everybody that followed this Jesus guy, getting them, putting them in jail, or even better, killing them. Because he thought... These people who are following Jesus, who are spreading the word about Jesus, they are completely and utterly wrong in what they're saying. They're denigrating the Jewish religion. They deserve death and I'm going to do all that I can to kill them. And that's what he sets about doing. He doesn't just do it when he finds them. He actually goes about looking for people who are following the way, as it was called at the time, and getting them putting them in jail, or if he could, like, and even better, killing them. That was his main aim in life. So how does someone who does that actually write a book that we read in our Bible? And the book's actually really good. It actually all is about Jesus. And what happens is this miraculous encounter. This is a picture of it, but I'll just tell you the story because there's a lot, it's a big chunk So this is what happens. Saul, again, really wants to get rid of these Jesus people. So on his way to Damascus to do just that, to find out who in Damascus knows about Jesus, is preaching Jesus so he can stop them. And as he's walking, as he's riding or walking into Damascus, there's this big light that comes down. So much that he's blind and he falls down and he hears this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul goes, who on earth are you? Now, this is the Tanya version, not the actual physical word-by-word account, okay? But the Tanya version, which is correct, but just not word-for-word, says, I just thought I'd better make that clear, (laughs) says, I'm Jesus. And so Saul has an encounter with Jesus. And it completely changes his life. And from that moment on, instead of being passionate about killing the people that are following Jesus, he becomes passionate about making sure everybody knows who Jesus is so they can follow him too. 
the completely 180. It is an amazing story of how an encounter with Jesus can completely and utterly change someone's direction in life, save a whole lot of people because Paul, Saul was pretty good at what he did. It wasn't like he only found one. Like he was very good at finding these Christians and trying to get rid of them because that was what he was so passionate about. But he completely, from that moment on, completely changed. Paul, we'll call him from now on, actually wrote some books in the New Testament, not just Romans. So there's 27 books in the New Testament. Does anybody want to have a guess of how many were written by Paul? 16? 19? (laughs) There's actually 13 books that are known to be written by Paul. Um, There are some that are still in dispute, but these are the ones that people say, yep. Because Paul did a really great thing. In most of his books, he says, I, Paul, am writing this to you, which makes it really easy to know that it was him that was writing it. There's other books in the New Testament that are really annoying because the person doesn't say, I, like Hebrews. No one really knows who who wrote Hebrews. I like to say Barnabas wrote Hebrews only because I love Barnabas. And someone once said he could have written it. But in Hebrews, it doesn't say who wrote the book of Hebrews. But Paul is pretty good at telling us that it's him that's writing these books. So lots of the books that you read in the Old Testament are all written by this guy who hated Christians so much he wanted to kill them and then loved Jesus so much he wanted to do everything he could to tell people about him. And it's really good to know that is who is writing these books whenever you read them because it gives you a really good understanding of the passion. Because if you read Paul's books, you find the passion he has for the things of God are just so great. But Paul actually tells us some other things about him that we can read in, not Romans, but in his other books, that's useful to know. And in Philippians, he tells us this. If someone else thinks they have reason to be put their confidence in the flesh, I have more. So this is what Paul was, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrews of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. They're the ones who kept the law to the strictest possible, like, nth degree, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Well, we all know that's not true, but that's how he claimed himself to be. But who... But Whatever were gained for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So all the things that led him up to being on the road to Damascus, which he was so proud of being from the tribe of Benjamin, being a Pharisee, being so zealous for the things of God, he now considers to be absolutely wasted because of what God in Christ has actually given him. And so he really wants everybody to know how amazing God is and all that Jesus has done. And you'll see that in his writings time and time again, his passion for people to know what Jesus has actually done. Because he has realised that everything that he thought was of great worth, pointless, because of all that he gets through Jesus alone. In Galatians, he tells us this. For God, who was at work in Peter, and as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And this is really what Paul 
knew his purpose was. His purpose was to bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And so he did this by going on what is called missionary journeys. Okay, so let me see if I can get me this. How do I make the pointer work? You don't know? Oh, hey, fantastic. So in the green, I don't know if you can see the green that goes all the way around here. This is sort of the first journey that he did. And what he went, what Paul did, is he went around and every time he could, he spoke about who Jesus was, what Jesus had done, and he um, had lots and lots of people come to know who Jesus was. Then he went on a second missionary journey, which is the one in purple, doing exactly the same thing. Going to people, Gentiles, people who didn't know about Jesus, telling them about Jesus so that they could now know him. And then he went on his third missionary journey, which is the one in blue. And so, oh, so where was Paul when he wrote Romans? He was actually in Corinth, right here, on his third missionary journey. Now, can anybody see on this map, I don't know how well you can see it, can anybody see on this map some names of places that relate to books of the Bible that we know that Paul wrote? Yeah, Ephesus. Yep. You'll find as you look, as I said, the map isn't probably the best map and it's probably a bit too far, but if you look on this map, you'll see most of the books that you know are actually written, apart from Timothy, but most of the other books are actually written to places that Paul visited on his missionary journeys. So he would visit a place, tell them all about Jesus, a church would be formed, he would move on to the next place and then he would write back to people that he visited um, and preached to in the past, if that makes sense. So that's who Paul is and that's when Paul wrote Romans. And so the next question we need to know is why was the book of Romans written? And the great thing is, Paul gives us really good hints as to why he wrote Romans. Because he tells us this. This is in Romans chapter 1. Firstly, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. In my prayers at all time, and I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So why did Paul write Romans? He wrote it for two main reasons. To let them, being the people in Rome, know that he longs to visit them so they may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You see, the book of Romans wasn't written after Paul visited Rome. Paul never had never visited Rome. He'd heard all about what God was doing, so he wrote this in advance of his visit which is really rare. Most other books, as I mentioned before, he wrote after he'd visited. He'd gone, he'd preached the gospel, they'd come to know Jesus, he'd moved on and then he would write back to say, hey, I'm so proud of you, could have this, hey, watch out for this, that kind of thing. 
the book of Romans was written before he ever even made it to Rome. And that's really important when you read the book of Romans to have an understanding of because it will give you a greater um, picture of what Paul is saying and why he's saying what he's saying. The second reason why Paul wrote the book of Romans is to make sure that the church in Rome know what he believes about the gospel before he visits. He wants to get into the business of encouraging each other, of imparting spiritual gifts, of getting to the nitty-gritty. He doesn't want to have to say, hello, let's make sure that we theologically are on the same page. So he wrote the book of Romans so they would know where he stood theologically, what he believed about the gospel, so that when he came to visit, they could get down to um, praying for each other, to encourage each other, to pass on spiritual gifts and to do that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Fantastic. So the book of Romans has 16 chapters in it, has 433 verses in it. It is the longest single letter that Paul actually wrote. Now, I said to you that we're starting a series in the book of Romans. We're not going to spend 16 weeks in the book of Romans, even though I love Romans and would love to. I would love to spend... 32, I had to do my doubling and make sure I was correct. Because the book of Romans is full of so many amazing things that you could do like half a chapter at a time and still have more that you could say and not say. We're going to spend six weeks looking at the book of Romans, this one being the first one. And so over the six weeks, we're not going to go verse by verse. We're not even going to go chapter by chapter. We're going to go big picture. And the hope and the prayer is by the end of our six weeks together, All of us will have a really good understanding of what Paul is saying about the gospel. Because if we know what the gospel is and the difference that can make in our life, not just on a simple level, then that is going to be so much richer for us in our relationship with God and so much richer when we pass that knowledge on to other people. Because we will know it. We won't have to go, oh, what's going on here? but we'll actually know what the gospel message is and know the depth of the gospel message and know it for ourselves deep so that when we want to share it, when we want to talk about it, we actually have a grounding that is solid and not just let me try and work out what I think this could be. Does that make sense? So Paul wrote the book to Jewish Christians and to Gentile Christians. And this also is really important to know when you read the book of Romans because he talks to Gentiles and then he'll talk to Jews and he'll talk to them together and he's really trying to say Jews and Gentiles are all the same in Christ. Just gave away one of his big points. But that's pretty much what he says. But he talks to the Jews and then he talks to the Gentiles and then he puts it all together. Does that make sense? In Romans 15, which is the second last chapter of Romans, he says this. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've longed for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while I'm passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. After I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. So again, Paul tells us, hey, just going to do one more thing and then I'm heading away. It's going to be great. Can't wait to catch up with you. But Paul actually didn't make it to Rome the way he planned. 
Oh, so in Acts chapter 21 to 28, it tells us what happens to Paul. So Paul is in Jerusalem, preaching the word of God, gets arrested. And they all go, hey, you know, this is what we think is doing wrong. Hey, 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 this is doing all this bad stuff, the Jewish people. And he nearly gets convicted. And then Paul says, hang on, I'm a Roman citizen. And they go, oh, if you're a Roman citizen, we better actually take you to Rome. Otherwise, we could be in trouble because we can't prosecute a Roman citizen. So Paul waits in Jerusalem for a while. Lots of things happen. People come and go. Read chapter 21 to 29 to get the whole story, not just the very condensed story. And then he sails on a really treacherous journey from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And it says this in Acts 28, 16. When we, being Paul and he had some companions that went with him, um, got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So he ended up in Rome, not having this great time on his way to Spain with the Roman church, but being under house arrest. But the great thing was, even though he was under house arrest, people could still visit him. So people came and visited him and he could, people could come and go, but he had to be in his house with soldiers guarding him. Um, so he got to Rome, but just not in the way that he actually planned to. So this is what people would say the Book of Romans is about, okay? The Book of Romans is a systematic account of Paul's understanding of the gospel. Tanya's version says, this is all about God's amazing grace or the gospel in depth. Paul systematically, meaning in order, piece by piece, tells us what the gospel message is. But he doesn't just say, you know what, we've all done wrong things. And because we've all done wrong things, we've got to turn, we've turned our back on God, then Jesus had to come. And because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that we can now know God and live with him forever. He goes into much more depth about what that actually means. He talks about, these are some of the words that Paul uses in the book of Romans. He talks about sin, but he talks about it, like he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Like he, he tells you the depth of what separation from God is all about. He talks about God's righteousness. He talks about faith. He talks about the law and what the law is good for and what it's not good for. He talks about this big word called sanctification, which is pretty much about outworking your salvation. He talks about justification, which is the fact that we, because of Jesus and Jesus alone, are seen as righteous even though we're not because of the blood of Jesus. He talks about the fact that we are God's children. He talks about grace. He talks about works. He talks about Israel and how Israel fits into the whole picture. He talks about the Spirit of God and how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit actually works. He talks about the fact that we are slaves to righteousness. You know how we sing that song, um, We're No Longer Slaves to Sin? I Am a Child of God. I love that song, but it really annoys me because they've taken a bit from Romans which says that we are no longer slaves to sin. But, in that, but Paul actually says, even though you're not a slave to sin, we are all a slave to something. So you should be a slave to righteousness, 
that should be what your master is, not anything else. That's the Tanya version of what it says, not the word-for-word version again. Um, so every time I sing that song, I'm like, yes, you're right, but you're using the wrong words in the wrong context, and it annoys me. Um, but it does. It talks about the fact that we are actually slaves and what that means and how we have actually chosen to be slaves to Jesus being our master and no longer tied to being a slave to sin. The first chapter of Romans tells us this. This is Paul talking again, of course. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel of righteousness of oh, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that comes by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the gospel Paul's talking about is not a gospel about getting into heaven, even though that's part of it. The gospel that Paul's talking about is a gospel that actually changes your life, that actually changes your life here and now. A gospel of the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so... My prayer is, as we look at the book of Romans, is that each one of us will get a deeper understanding of what it is that Jesus actually did. That when the book of Romans tells us that Jesus' blood covers us, what that actually means and what that actually looks like, the freedom that brings, the fact that what we do shouldn't be based out of works but based out of our gratitude of all that Jesus has done. That's the only reason that we actually do anything is not because we earn anything by doing anything, not because God loves us more, not because we have to, but because how amazing is it that a holy and pure and righteous God had anything to do with us who are so utterly and um, utterly sinful And the only reason we get to pray, the only reason we have the Holy Spirit, the only reason we get to worship God is because of Jesus. And because we are so grateful for all that Jesus has done, that's why we want to be more like him. That's why we want to serve. That's why we want to tell other people, not out of obligation, but of, I am so utterly grateful. How can I not want to pass this on? How can I not want to be your slave and do whatever you say because you are so worthy of everything. You love me so, so much and want the very best for me. So if you want the very best, you're the only one I want to go to. That's what Paul tells us. And the book of Romans is a book where Paul is so passionate about making sure that people know the right things. Um, Has anybody heard of a guy called Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King, even though there is a Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther. Martin Luther is pretty much the father of the Protestant church. There used to only be one church, which was the Catholic church. And then Martin Luther um, was part of the Catholic church. He was a priest. And he so wanted to be right before God that he would kneel and pray and beat himself and repent and repent and punish himself for when he sinned. 
And he did all that he could to make sure he was right before God because he so wanted to be right before God. And then he gets his Bible and he reads the book of Romans. And he goes, I've missed the point. I have missed grace. I thought it was about all that I could do to make sure I was right before God. I missed the fact that Jesus has done it all and I just need to accept what he's done. And so he is so saddened that he has lived this way for so long that he starts to write. He starts to write all these things that um, he believes now to be true after reading the book of Romans and how amazing God's grace is and how works is not what it's all about, but God has done it all. Jesus has done it all. And the way that you communicated with other people in those days was you would just go and nail your thing to like the church door and people would come and read it. So you'd go read what, the, what was happening in the world. They didn't have Facebook, they didn't have internet, they didn't have phones. And so the city, you know, the town hall, the town square and the church were the main places of finding out anything. So people read what Martin Luther wrote and they went, wow, this is amazing. Yes, this is so true. And around the same time, the printing press was just being invented. So the guys went, we could make copies of this. Again, this is the Tanya version of the story. So they go and do the printing press. And so what Martin Luther wrote gets spread around. And the Catholic Church isn't happy. Because Martin Luther is saying, you don't have to pay the church all this money. All these relics that you think are so important, you don't need to come and touch them. You don't need to, like, you don't need to earn your way. Jesus has done it all, and the Catholic Church isn't that happy. So they say to Martin Luther, hey, can you just quiet down a bit and stop telling people? Because what you're saying is going against what we've set up in the society that we've set up, and it's been working really well. And Martin Luther goes, sorry, but I, I've had this revelation and I can't do anything about it, but tell people. So Martin Luther never wanted really, to start another church. He just wanted people to know about the grace that he found by reading the book of Romans, that it's not about works, it's not about earning anything, but it's about being grateful for what God has done. And the whole Protestant church, with lots of different, there's a whole lot bigger story than what I've just told you, all started by one guy reading Romans and realising it's actually all about grace. And that's what Paul was so wanted everybody to know because he had come from a place of works. He had come from a place where he thought because he was a Pharisee and he kept the law and he looked down upon people who didn't keep the law because he was so passionate about these people who were destroying the Jewish faith and he was going to kill them. He thought that that is what made him. He thought that was what made him right before God. And so he liked being able to point out all the wrong in everybody else and all the good in him. And he had a revelation, a revelation that it's actually all about Jesus. A revelation that I think sometimes we forget. Because sometimes we know, I'm sure each one of us will know, yes, we're saved by faith and faith alone, not by works, so no one can boast. That's what the Bible tells us. But we actually think oh, I've got to do this, and if I don't do this, and if I only do that, that that is what earns favour before God. 
but it doesn't. Jesus' blood covers us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And it's when we get that, not just in our heads but in our hearts, that's when what we do is motivated out of our gratitude and not out of, I've got to do this because God won't be pleased with me if I don't. The way we live our lives is to honour and glorify the one who has saved us, not to become saved. The song that we sang early on this morning when it says, um, I love you, Lord, I lift my voice and I worship you and let me be a sweet, sweet sound to your ear. I can't sing. And so whenever I sing that, I think, yes, God, let this be a sweet, sweet sound to your ear because I know I can't do it myself. But really, what is a sweet, sweet sound to God's ear is not someone who is perfectly in pitch. That's what's sweet to our ear. A sweet, sweet sound to God's ear is someone who humbly sacrifices, lays their life before God and says, I am he, use me in whatever way you want me to. That is what is a sweet, sweet sound to God. That is what gives him the honour and glory that's due his name. And we do that not because it earns us anything, but because we understand how much God has done for us, how much we are loved. The amazing grace that God offers us overwhelms us so much that we cannot help but worship him. We cannot help but bring everything we have before him and say, God, whatever you say, I want to be obedient to you. I want to live a life that brings your kingdom to earth because your kingdom is the only earth, is the only kingdom that is full of love and full of grace and full of mercy. And so that's why we're looking at the book of Romans. We're looking at the book of Romans over the next six weeks so that each one of us can walk out of this place knowing what Jesus has done in a way that makes a difference for the way that we live our lives and in a way that makes a difference for the way that we talk to other people. Because we don't talk out of, oh yeah, I think I'm saved and I hope I am, so maybe you can hope too. But we speak to others out of a deep conviction of all that God has done for us and all that he can do for them, because there is no one that's out of God's reach. Because it's all about Jesus and God. So his love and his mercy and his death covers everybody. And so that means that there's no one that he can't reach down and restore. There's no one that he can't give love and mercy to. And that's the kind of people that we want to be, people that so know what God has done for us, so know how much we've been forgiven that we can't help but forgive other people because we've been forgiven so much, that so know how much grace and mercy and love that have been shown upon us that we can't help but show love and mercy and grace to others because we get how much we have been given grace and mercy and love. Book of Romans, 16 chapters. If you're thinking, oh, I've just finished my quiet time and I'm wondering what to spend my time doing, or I really would love to read the Bible more, why don't you spend the next six weeks reading the Book of Romans? Because that will actually be really helpful if you do. Um, to get an overview of the whole picture, because we're not going to be going in-depth in things. We're going to be talking about the bigger picture of what the Book of Romans is talking about. But there is so much um, depth within the verses and the chapters of Romans 
um, that even reading, if you've never read Romans or if you haven't for a while, read it again because it is a brilliant book and it really does help us to understand all that God, all that Jesus has done for us um, and we can't help but respond to that. Let me pray. God, I do want to thank you that you are a God of love and grace and mercy. I want to thank you, God, that you loved Paul when he was Saul so much that you didn't just allow him to continue to persecute your people, God, but you intervened in such an amazing way that completely changed his life, God. I want to thank you, God, that he wrote the book of Romans so that we can read it and understand it, God. I want to thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for the freedom that you bring, for the completion that you bring, for the restoration that you bring, God. It is all of you, God, and we just want to honour and glorify you. Amen.